Let's have an added word of prayer. Father, we're thankful that we can contemplate these things. And I know that in the coming ages, we'll keep unpacking these truths about Jesus' plan of salvation. But Lord, you've given us enough to understand and to believe and to trust and to know that we are your children. So guide us as we open this up this morning. Help us to see Jesus as a promised restorer, the restorer of anything that we've faced that's been broken in life. He can come. He can put it back together. For he can speak and it can stand fast. Send the Holy Spirit to guide us to see this today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there I was in Medford, Oregon in 2006. And some people kind of wonder what kind of training pastors receive in seminary. One of the basic classes that we receive is field school. And that is at the end of our time of studying the Bible, studying the languages, studying all this history, studying a whole bunch of different other subjects, we finally go out with a professional evangelist at the end of all of our studies, and we reconfirm in our hearts the beliefs that we hold dear, the 28 fundamental beliefs. Back then it was 27. But we go out with an evangelist, and typically we are out there visiting people, talking to people, trying to encourage them to keep coming back to the meetings. But every once in a while, somebody just comes walking in the door. And there I was in Medford in 2006, at a series of meetings with Jack Cologne. They call them Revelation Now. And as I was at those meetings, one night I was on duty as a greeter in the foyer, and somebody come, came walking right in the door. And he looked a little bit like he had a chip on his shoulder. We use that expression to say he had kind of an attitude. And he walked past a couple of greeters. He kind of turned towards me, and I don't know, I just figured I'd walk up, and I'd stick my hand out, and I'd shake his hand and welcome him. So I stick my hand out. He takes hold of my hand, quite good grip on my hand, kind of grip where you kind of hold your thumb up like that, you know, and you stick your finger out. And so I'm holding my hand, out, and I said, how you doing? And he's, he seems very much troubled. And I'm not sure exactly what was going on in his mind at the time, but it looked like he was struggling with something. And I said, well, would you like to come on in? No, I don't want to go into the meeting. There was double windows back there. He could look in and see, but he wouldn't, didn't want to go into the meeting. I said, well, they're talking about God and the Bible, and, and I began to describe what we had covered so far, and he just said, well, I wanted to see. I wanted to see how this church would react. And I'm like, what do you mean? So I pull off to the side of the foyer, and we're talking over here, and he says, I just took my Harley Davidson, revved it up, and I was peeling out in the, in the parking lot to see how your church would respond. Whoa, okay, I didn't know that. I didn't hear his Harley revving up outside there, and I didn't care if he rode a Harley or what he rode into church. I didn't care that he was wearing blue jeans and whatever. I just said, well, we're glad you're here. Well, he sat down in the foyer. Was, we had the sound coming through out to the foyer, and he was listening a little bit, but then he went ahead and left. So the following night, I'm out there in the foyer again doing my greeting job, and as I'm doing my greeting job, he comes on in. This time, not quite as much of an attitude comes in, but then he points to me and says, come outside, I want to talk to you. Now, in my olden days, somebody says, come outside, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I think, okay, you want to, you want to talk to me? I mean, it's just, all right, so I go outside thinking, is he mad like he was yesterday? Is he coming with more of an attitude than he had yesterday? He seemed nice when he came in the door, but come on outside. So I go outside, and I don't see a Harley. I don't see... I really didn't see the donut marks on the ground. I don't think he really peeled out that much. 
And there he was, he had a pickup. And he said, I'm going I'm to talk with you for a little while. So we got into the pickup, old white pickup. I sit there in the passenger seat. He begins to tell me about how when he grew up in the church and how things were in the past in the church and why he's not coming to church anymore. And then how he saw this banner out there, right there, right here in front of this was actually a banner set up back then. How he saw this banner out there and he felt like he had to come in. And I asked him one simple question because we had been trained, right, to ask somebody these questions. All right, Mike, have you come to the place if you're to die right now? Because he talked about his health and all of this. Have you come to the place where you know you would have eternal life? And he paused. You can kind of start seeing the attitude and the, just the past start to melt, and now he's faced right here in the present with this question. And he's like, well, how do you know? And I said, well, if you could know, would you like to? And he's like, well, duh, I'd like to know. And so there he is, him and I are, and I've got this script in my mind of the gospel presentation that I had, had to memorize before I got to there, to that class. And so I start going through the script. And we get down through all the key texts and everything like that. And I notice you can't really follow the script with everybody, but here's the first person I've followed through the whole script. And I get down to the end there, and I just said, you know, have you prayed to ask God into your life? You've got all these problems you're talking about and everything, but have you prayed and asked God, not only just for eternal life, I mean, really, but for help in your life today? And I said, I'm going to pray for you, and then I want to ask you to pray to God in your own words, and I'm going to pray for you again. And so I prayed for him, the, the little sinners thing that you talk about and how, how we're all sinners and everything. But then he prayed, and his heart just poured out to God, and, I, and I, I just heard him sniffling. I thought, is he okay? And I opened up, and his tears are coming down, and he begins to just describe to God how he wants to give his heart to God. And I then pray for him, and we, we both opened up our eyes at the end of all of that. You can tell something has switched in him. I would like to say that he came to all those meetings and was baptized, right? But it didn't happen that way. In fact, uh, we sat down together and we were sitting at a smorgasbord restaurant and he and I were eating our meal and at the end he said, you know, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. God has me in his hands, but thank you. Thank you for sharing what you did because I see now that the church has changed. Different. And I thought to myself as I left that place, had the church really changed? Or had we just somehow complicated a very simple subject where this guy who was struggling with his tobacco, struggling with things in his life, struggling... He came to the church and he saw it as a place of condemnation rather than a place where he could come to the foot of the cross. Had the message changed? Not really. It was how we were presenting it that had changed. And now he saw Jesus clearly, how Jesus could be Lord of his life and save him and all of that all into one and how Jesus can continue to lead in his life after he made that commitment. And so there I was years later kind of getting discouraged. There was kind of a lull in ministry for a period of time there. And it's at that point I had this message on my answer machine. It was about a year or so later than this. And looking back, I wonder, how did this guy get my phone number? Because, I mean, I, I moved 
from Michigan down to Chanute, and eventually I found myself up in the brass. I don't know how he got a hold of me, but he got a hold of my number. And there's that message on the answer machine. Hey, Murray, remember me? Mike. Hey, buddy. You can't believe it. I quit smoking. I quit smoking. I was baptized, and that's the best part of it all. I quit smoking. I still have that on my machine there. But what had enabled him to quit smoking? Was it the list? The scare tactics of dirty lungs on the screen? What had happened was he had continued to study and say, God, I have accepted you into my life. Now I need your help in my life day by day. And he gained victory over that. And yes, he was baptized. And this very last week here, this last week here, speaking up this very week, he Facebooked me and gave me more information about the, everything leading up to that decision. And he's still involved in the church. He's a deacon at that church. He's a youth leader, helps with the youth. And he's still committed to Jesus Christ, saying, you know what? I love the Lord. Thank you for showing him to me. I got permission to share that with you this morning. But I ask myself, could it really be that simple? That children's story is simple. If it could be that simple, then why do we make it so complicated? We like to parse, and I, I'm one of those people who loves syntax and getting into all that detail, but when it comes to something like this, I believe we need to make it as simple to understand as possible. And some of you who are sitting here today have come to church year after year, just like he had, but he had never actually come to a commitment to Christ, an assurance that his heart was right with Christ. He could sing blessed assurance, but he didn't have blessed assurance. And then there are some of you who are visiting us here today, and you, when I ask that question, have you come to the place where you know that you would have eternal life? You're like, no, I don't. And then there are some of us who could say yes. So today I'm trying to reach a whole bunch of you at one time with this message, and I'm hoping by the time we're done here, you'll realize it is simple, it is something we can praise the Lord about, and it is something we can share with the world around us. For if we do not have a message of a promise restorer, then all we have left to give people is the dismal reality that there is a destroyer out there. And we know from the scriptures that the plan of salvation is something that is there in the Bible. It's something that we read about in, in the books of Ellen White. It's something that we definitely have to deliver to people in a simple, profound way. It's reading in this little booklet here. It says, it's the glory of the gospel that is founded upon the principle of restoring in the fallen race the divine image. That's why last time I said there's hope of a promised restorer. Why? That's the whole goal of the plan of salvation. Restoration. So that we would all begin to look like that divine image that God had established at the beginning. By a constant manifestation of benevolence, God's goodness, the work, this work began in the heavenly courts. There God decided to give the human race, human beings, unmistakable evidence of the love which he regarded them, with which he regarded them. So long before this world was ever made, long before the balloon popped, if you will, long before any of that ever happened, God said, I have a plan for this world, one to show my goodness and my love, and it's never going to change. Some people don't like that word, unconditional love. I'm sorry, but it does say his love endures forever. It's a pure love, though. It says he so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Godhead was stirred with pity for the race and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit gave themselves to the working out of the plan of salvation. If you don't believe that from that writing, then go over to 1 John chapter 5 because it says very clearly there, talks about the water and the blood, and it talks about three who testify to this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You find they were all three involved in your recreation and mine. Oh, what love, what matchless love. The contemplation of this love will cleanse the soul from all selfishness. That's what happened to my friend Mike. A cleansing took place because he contemplated that love, he accepted that love, he continued to believe that love. I don't know, someone's going to throw out a, a quotation that says, don't go around saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, all right. But she also says in Steps of Christ that we should not have a doubt regarding that. And so I'm going to contemplate this love with you here today. Maybe some of you it's review, some of you it would be for the first time, but look at this perfect love. We learned that each day as they left that garden, it brought them one step closer to death. Yes, they were still living lives that were of length that I would envy. It would be wonderful to live 900 years, wouldn't it? Especially to have your mental capacity still in focus, your strength unabated. I mean, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? But there they were living these long lives. Each day, though, still brought them one step closer to that death penalty, but also one step closer to the sacrifice. Who was that sacrifice? It says in Genesis 3.15. This is a continuation from last time. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head. Notice that he there. And you shall bruise his heel. So you've got this, this offspring, but yet it says it's a he. This one would come, be bruised, and yet crush evil in our world. And that's really the most costly consequence of this whole thing. Not the guilt I feel, not the shame they felt as they left the garden, none of that. The real costly consequence is the fact that one would come, the very one who formed them would come and be beaten and bruised for them. We'd be wounded for them. The creator himself would come and become the promised restorer. The creator becomes the restore, because he is the only one who can do that. Can you somehow make yourself good enough to be perfect? You say, well, it says be perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect. You know who he said that type of thing to? People who thought they were pretty close to it. What kind of assurance do you have deep down in the depths of your soul at night if you've got a list to kind of perfectly, perfectly live up to. How long will you try until you give up on that list? Because if you have that, God's saying exchange it for a lie right on your heart. Deeper than any list can ever be written is the love of God written on your heart. And yes, that list will begin to be there, but it won't be there because you have to do it to somehow atone for yourself. 
Because the Bible makes it clear in the beginning there was no way for them to atone for themselves. Oneness was shattered and the atonement came through God himself. And so the creator comes and it says in John chapter 1, all things were made by him, speaking of Jesus, and that Jesus, that son, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it links to Jesus very clearly. John uses this very same language of creation. It says, in the beginning was the word. And we saw in the beginning, God, right? Created. And so it's the same thing with salvation. In the beginning, we are reliant upon the fact that God made our world. And there we are today, relying on the fact that Jesus remakes us and will remake our world. It's the same person there. The Lord in the Old Testament then. The L-O-R-D in your English version is the one who's going to come and take your place. But I ask myself, why in the world does he have to do that? Why not just send an angel to do it? You ever ask yourself that? Angels are perfect, aren't they? They can look just like me and you, can't they? Can they look like a human being? Surely they could. We find record of that throughout the Old Testament. Somebody appearing to Daniel, right? Looks like, looks like a human being. Why then the exchange? Angel can look like a human being, but John 3.16 tells us it takes a lot more than looking like a human being to be the sacrifice. All right, FBI agents, young people, here's your scripture. John 3.16 and 17. Not just verse 16, verse 17 as well. Right? For God so loved the world, you know it, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? everlasting life, all right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's pretty clear from the scriptures. If there was any other way to do it, he would have done it, but he has to send his son to do it. Otherwise, we won't be saved. And so we find, yes, God is loving, but it also says that he has to somehow be just. Doesn't want to condemn us wants us to be saved, then who's going to be condemned instead? And that's where we get into what most evangelists call a gospel presentation. They cite John 3.16, and then they cite this text in 2 Peter, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust for a day of judgment to be punished. God is merciful, but he's also just. He's merciful and loving, yet he also upholds his law. Why? Because his law is a reflection of himself. We find in 1 John, if you keep the law, pretty much if you keep the commandments, you're walking as Jesus walked. He's not going to undo that. And so God is just. He knows that we are the ones who caused the balloon to be popped. We're the ones who went down a path away from life into death. I need to go back because those young people need to mark that scripture down. And so we have gone a path away from the life giver. What is the natural consequence of that? Is God being mean about it? Saying, hey, I'm going to nuke you. You know, you're going down the wrong path. Poof. Now he's saying, as we read the book of Genesis, he calls out, where are you? He's, he's calling out. He's calling out. The echo is going on down. Where is Adam? He's actually gone away to the point where the relationship is severed and to the point where we find that picture, yes, of them having to leave the garden. So if you're going away from the life giver, it's not being mean to say, all right, I don't want life. 
God's, not, God's saying, okay, you don't want life? Then, then that's what you have. You have death. But what if I want to come back? You just want to come back to say you're sorry and not really mean it? Because if that's the case, what happens on the cross doesn't mean much. But if you want to come back and say, you know what, I recognize what has taken place here. I've gone the wrong way. I know it's a meaningless road, but God can restore. And I want to walk a different way. Then there is a change of heart. And so another way of putting it, if you want to use a techie term, we've all unfriended God. On Facebook, you send out a friend request, right? And somebody says, oh yeah, I'll be your friend. And then you say, well, I don't like what they're putting on my post anymore. Poof, block their post. Poof, unfriend them, right? Okay, and then they can't see your post anymore and you don't really want to see theirs anymore and the relationship on Facebook is ended, right? Well, every once in a while you might see a post from one of their friends or whatever, but, but nonetheless, if we take a techie term like that and we say, God, I know that you want to communicate with me, yet, poof, that's what the Bible is saying. We cut it. We cut the relationship. We didn't listen to his command as a human race. We walked a different way. We unfriended him. And that's a dangerous path to be on. Because the Bible says there's none righteous then. Not one. There's none that understands. None that seeks after God. We've all gone that path. They're gone out of the way. That's why Jesus is called the way. Because then he can bring us back. There's none that does good. No, not one. And all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Chapter 6, verse 23 says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. And so we put it all together and we know we've gone the wrong way. But you say, well, yeah, I, I sinned. I missed the mark. You know, I was aiming my bow and arrow and phew, I missed, you know? No, it's actually a little deeper than that. You get the hamartia and these other different definitions of sin. There's a whole class if you want. You could somehow go back to seminary and you could take a class on sin if you wanted to, but there's a whole class on it, but basically there are different degrees we find in the Bible, it talks about, yeah, I was trying to do right, but I missed, but this isn't that, this is willfully knowing what you're supposed to do what that is right, and you said, no, I'm not doing that. I'll give you an example. There I was in Oxford, Nebraska. Any of you guys are golfers, you might know of Oxford, Nebraska. They got a nice golf course out there. I've never been on it, but I heard that some celebrities like the Nebraska golf courses out in the middle of nowhere. You could probably figure out why. They're out in the middle of nowhere. So there I am going through Oxford, Nebraska from Beaver City. We had a little church in Beaver City, Nebraska. And as I'm going through Oxford, Nebraska, I've got two guys behind me in a car. It's the conference president and the ministerial director. And we had just had a meeting at the church, working out some things there, and we were driving back, and I thought I'd taken through a shortcut through Oxford. So I get into Oxford, and ding, 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 ding. There comes the railroad uh, arm comes down, right? And there I'm thinking, okay, I know a way around this. And so I, I put the blinker on. I go right. I come through part of the downtown area. It's dark. There's no street lights really. And I run right through a stop sign. Where was this police officer? I don't remember seeing her. But <laughs> she got me. You know, we got down. We, we got towards the shortcut there through town, and the lights are on, and and she actually swerved between my officers and me, my conference officers and me. And there I am thinking, oh man, this is pretty embarrassing, isn't it? <clears throat> my cell phone rings. And they're like, <clears throat> are you going to be able to handle this? Okay. 
this is my, off, my conference people behind me there. And I said, yeah, I'll take care of it. And so the lady comes up to the window there. She, I roll the window down. I'm handing her all the information, you know. And, and so she says, do you realize you ran a stop sign there? And I said, you know, really, I didn't see it. I know you're not going to believe that, but those, that's my boss behind me there. And I was trying to lead them th to town, and I, and I tried to explain it. And she said, okay, give me a minute. So she goes back to the car, and of course the lights are, the strobe lights are still going. I'm thinking, is she going to give me a ticket right in front of all of them? And they're going to put it in the, the newsletter the next day. It was going to go out for the, for the conference newsletter. They sent out a weekly newsletter. And so there I am, and she comes back, hands me my license. She hands me a slip of paper, and it's a it's one of those receipts they give you, you know, and it said pretty much, I'm giving you a warning. You know, they can list warning or whatever. So she gives me a warning. And I speed off, I don't speed off, I, I drive off of there. <laughs> I get down the road, and I don't know how we had such good cell phone service back then in the middle of nowhere, but we had good cell phone service. They call me on the phone again, and, they, and, they, and the president jokes. He says, you know, uh, Elder Swagger and I were just talking about, Elder Reimer and I were just talking about putting this in the cutting edge tomorrow. And I said, oh, well, what, do you, what am I going to say? I can't really. I said, I, no, okay. And they said, just kidding, and they hung up. And so we drive on back. I get them located to where they needed to go. But a thought crossed me. Every time I drove through Oxford, Nebraska from that point on, you'd think I saw the stop sign. If I went right where, where I drove that night, I would see the stop sign again. But let's just say I saw the stop sign and said, and peeled out and zipped right on through the thing, and there's the lady again, right? willfully choosing to ignore it. First of all, I would be ignoring grace, her kindness that she showed me, but also I'd be ignoring the law itself. That's what the Bible says we've all done. At some point or another, he's shown us the right way, and we have chosen to willfully choose to be rebellious and go against it. And I don't care if that's in action or in thought. Because Jesus takes it and digs it deeper than the action and says, even in thought, we have been that way. And all you got to say is, have I had an angry thought? Have I had a lustful thought? Have I had a covetous thought? And then you know. You know. And you also know that you, you probably knew better, and you chose not to follow what you knew. And then you were speeding through the stop sign. That's the kind of sin that we've all done. Pretty glaringly rebellious. And in a government situation, that would be treason, would it not? And that's why the Bible says the wages is death. Because that's deep down in our, our hearts what we continually do as a human race since the fall. There may be good thoughts every once in a while, but deep down, there's that rebellion. And the only one who can take care of that rebellion is God himself. We are in the same position then as Adam and Eve. We find ourselves away from the tree of life, we find ourselves in need of a promised restore just as much as they needed one. And so that's where the good news comes in because Genesis 3 talked about it. Someone's going to come and though you willfully broke the law, though, though God, they knew, they knew exactly what the consequences would be of death. And they chose not to do it anyway. They ate that fruit and we do the same thing and yet God says, all right, I'm not giving up on you. You've broken the law, you've unfriended me. I don't care what expression you want to use to describe it. You've severed that relationship. Oneness is not there between God and us. And God says, I don't care. I'm not giving up on Murray. I'm not giving up and put your name in there. I'm not giving up on you. And that's where Ephesians comes in. For by grace, 
you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do, got the do there, to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Grace, this kindness has been extended to you. That's the very nature of God. To extend beyond himself. That's why he made our world. To extend love beyond himself. That's just who he is. Kindness that is not deserved. Like the father who sees his boy running from a distance. And he's there watching and waiting for him. And instead of just standing there like, a, like someone who's stuck in cement, he goes out there and rushes to his boy. That's a whole other sermon. But do you know, you ever asked why he rushed to his boy? Anybody who's ever had a child around knows why you rush to your child. But also you find there was a stipulation in the Old Testament where a rebellious person could be stoned. And so the father literally shames himself, which was to run, was to your robe could come up or whatever, literally risks shaming himself to cover his boy's shame. That's the kind of kindness we find God extending to us. Willing to cover our shame rather than to expose it. We don't see that very often in our world. Someone would like to expose anything they could as long as they could gain an advantage of it. But God does not do that. And how do we access that? It says by faith. Not just knowing it, but trusting that that is a fact. Do you trust the Bible? Isn't it the standard of faith in your life and practice? Hmm? You believe in the Sabbath? You believe God has a law, right? Then why not believe? that he loves you. It's there. It's a scripture. You may not feel it all the time. You may not experience it all the time in the world. But it's right there in the scripture. It's a promise to choose to believe, not just know, but to choose to believe. Because it points out here in this text, it's not of yourselves. There's no way you and of yourself can make the world over again. And there's no way that you and of your, you can make yourself again. Because if you try to do either one of those, then aren't you taking on the prerogatives of God? Aren't you standing in the place of God? And then why do you need Jesus then? Become antichrist in a way. So how do I have my debt forgiven? I recognize who Jesus was. There he was, plan of salvation, way before the world began. There he was, the one who formed and molded mankind so he can form and mold me anew. There he was in Isaiah chapter 9 called the Prince of Peace. Everywhere he goes, he brings peace if he rules. Does he rule your heart? Does he rule your home? Does he rule your church? If he does, he brings peace. He is a peacemaker. means he generates peace peace. And that's why the Bible says it's called this infinite love. Unto him that loveth us and loosed us from our sins, freed us while we were yet sinners, freed us by his blood. This means that in order to bleed for us, he would have to be one of us. And you don't have a record of an angel coming to bleed for us. So you find Jesus becomes one of us, bleeds for us as a human being dies for us. So he has to become one of us to bleed for us, right? We talked about that back in December. People, you guys said, I remember your, your interim pastor talked about that. Jesus becoming one of us. But why become one of us? Well, think about it. 
He broke the law willfully. And that was Satan's goal at the garden, right? How can God let them go free without incurring some kind of accusation that he has not been fair? Yeah, you, you let them go. They sinned. Jesus didn't sin, right? How can one die in the place of another? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin for us. Question for you. Is Jesus sin? Read the text. God made him who had no sin be sin for us. According to the heavenly record then, he took your record, exchanged his record in its place, became sin. He didn't sin, but he became sin. And that happens, we find the transaction of that begins to occur in what we call the Garden of Gethsemane, where there he is, the punishment of sin is weighing him down to the place where he just begins to sweat blood. And then, that's why he says, I'm sorrowful even unto death, right? Because the transaction is occurring. So do you believe a transaction occurred? Does anybody believe that? I believe that. So I believe he made the world at the beginning. We sinned. Yeah, I accept that. I've sinned. Now I believe a transaction has occurred. I choose to believe that. Was I there? No. But I choose to believe that because why? Where else do I look for hope in this world? Who else is going to show that kind of love to me in this world? Anybody who does show a selfless love in a way is reflecting the divine image anyway. And so it's coming from God himself. And so I accept that fact that now he has had the sin being laid upon him. The shame, the guilt. Imagine just the shame and the guilt that you've experienced in your lifetime being laid upon you in one moment. What would it do to you? You'd be medicated or somewhere else be kept uh, quiet, right? Some confined space. And so what's going to happen to him? Everything being laid upon him from the world. We cannot even fathom what would happen to a human being under that much pressure. And yet it happens. He begins to die long before they touch him. And then he gets to the cross, and he dies so to the point where, where Pilate's wondering, is he dead already? I mean, really? He's dead already. I thought you'd break his legs and throw him back up there for a while. Long. I don't, he's dead. Pierce his side. Poof, right? The water comes out. So he dies on the cross for us. He cries out on the cross, my God, my God. In essence, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And where have we heard those words before? We heard them back with Adam. The penalty of Adam's transgression in every one of us is being laid on Jesus Christ. And remember that text back in Genesis. Jehovah God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He's been crying that ever since the beginning. Where are you? Where are you? Now he's experiencing it as being condemned as a sinner when he is not a sinner. Jesus is not a sinner. He cries out those same words to his father so that we won't have to cry out those words. And what's interesting, the parallel continues. Remember how back in Genesis, Adam was missing a limb. He was missing a, a help me like him. And God opens up his side, pulls out that, right? Makes a new creation out of that. And the same thing happens at the cross. You find there Jesus is, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? 
breathes his last, goes to sleep, just like Adam did. What comes next? The piercing of the side eventually. Water and blood flow out. And everybody who's standing there, they, especially the, one, the ones who are believers, they're, they're wow, this is, this is our Savior. And somebody even cries, says, come, comes and says, surely this was the Son of God. Adam was called the Son of God years before, wasn't he? Book of Luke says that he was the Son of God. And so here is Jesus dying on the cross, being called the Son of God, being wounded and bruised just to restore oneness with each one of us. Something is missing. God will not allow us to be missing for no reason at all. He is going to pour out all provision so that none of us will have an excuse not to be there. And out of his side, some people say, flowed the church. In essence, everybody who believed in that begins to be his church, his bride. So that oneness would be restored. We wouldn't have to be alone again. That's true friendship. That's the promised restorer. That's the promise that echoed down from Genesis down to our time. And will go to the ends of the world. And so how do I access that? Like I told the kids, he that has the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Why? Because he's a life giver. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you believe on the name of the Son of God? I do too. That you may know that you have eternal life. Don't go tell me it's presumption to know that I have eternal life. It's presumption to say I know it and to say I don't, give a, I don't care what God tells me from now on. That's presuming upon grace. This is a Christian prerogative that says that you can know that you have eternal life. And in the knowing, it says you change, that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Is it his will to save you and me? He says, if you ask according to his will, you have it. Do you have eternal life? Have you asked for it? And if you have, are you continuing to remain faithful to this Jesus? Because Ephesians 3 pointed out that if you have eternal life, if you have accepted the gift, then now you are created unto good works. You are now going to do as Jesus did. And so it comes through prayer. And once we do accept that, our sins are forgiven. We're a new creation. We're called the sons and daughters of God, John chapter 1, verse 12. We have a winning life. It's not just, hallelujah, I'm saved, but a winning life, one that continues to reflect him day after day. Yeah, we mess up, but a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. We keep getting up. And so now we have it by faith. We're going to experience what life eternal truly is all about in the future when he returns. But I like to imagine a new start. A new start can happen today in each one of our lives. A new start can happen every day because Jesus, Paul talks about I'm crucified daily. I die daily. And so do you want to... How clear is it? Don't you see that he loves you? Don't you see that he's giving it to you as a gift? If you start working for it, is it a gift anymore before you receive it? No. Do you see how he left heaven and he became one of us and now he offers to each one of us this opportunity? Do you see that? It's clear from scripture. He wants to be our friend, but more than that, he wants to guide our lives. Do you trust him to forgive you and to guide you?
And I think I have many different stories I could point to. Mike there, yes, in Medford, Oregon. He told me that, that when it came down to it, he had struggled with cancer and all of that before he even got to the point where there are him, I, him and I are at in his pickup. But he cited how he, in the past, he, he kept wanting to seek God and all of that. And there I was, and I don't know if this is true or not, he said somehow he learned more in that one hour than he had learned in 50 years prior. I don't know if that's true. To me, it was just a simple gospel presentation. One that years earlier I had experienced myself because there I was years earlier, 17 years old, in the Douglas County Jail, facing a five and a half year sentence for fighting with some people that I shouldn't have fought with. And the thought hit me. Do I want to keep going the way I'm going? That way that we've all gone, right? That way to death. And for me, I knew what it would be. It would be literally death because if I went to the state penitentiary at age 17 and I was a big guy and I was bulking up and muscle and everything, but, but I would never allow somebody to dominate me and so I would either die or kill somebody when I went to the state prison. That's where I was at. And the group I was hanging out with was a similar feeling. And the plans that were being laid were stupidity, to say the least. But there I was, 17. Eight cells on one wall of that cell block. I was a ninth guy laying on the floor, and the thought hit me, <clears throat> what are you doing? What are you doing? And so I went over to the bookshelf. I shrugged that off. I'm used to shrugging off convictions. And so I walked over to the bookshelf, and I put books in my bookcase. I'm lifting them for weights, and I'm angry. Angry because I got, got in trouble. Angry because the lawyer can't get me out of it. All of this anger, and it would not go away. And the thought hit me, you know what? Your grandfather was never angry like this. He always had that peace about him. Well, there I was pulling another clump of books off the shelf, and it had this little booklet that had a dove on it flying out of a golden cage, and it said something about freedom. And I said to myself, Christian, Christian book. But he'd already been speaking to me along the way. And there I was, finally admitted that at least I should give it a shot. What would it hurt anyway? You know? They might see that I'm a good person, let me out earlier, I don't know. And previously I'd gotten out early because I prayed to God, he got me out in 17 days. So, so maybe, so partly searching, partly selfish. I go back, I lay down on my little mat, I read the little booklet, and this type of stuff that you've already went through here today was very clearly presented to me, and the thought came to me, I can keep going the way I'm going, and I know what's gonna happen, or I can go this way, that this little book was talking about, and it says I can have freedom, true freedom. Is that a duh moment? Is it like a no-brainer? Well, for me, I just simply prayed in my head because I didn't know what to say out loud. I just remember saying in my head, God, take control of my life, out of control. And I listed everything I could ever remember doing wrong and thinking of ways I could make it right. And I went to sleep that night for the first time in many years, probably since I was a little kid, realizing that Jesus loved me and remembering again that God answered prayer. And I didn't have the fear of dying and burning and ever burning hell forever. That's what I used to believe. And so I accepted it. Was I now at one with God? Or did I need to study quite a bit more? You can be the judge. The wind blows the way it blows, and it will, it will do certain things. According to John chapter 3, 
I accepted Christ into my life. If you want to use the, t- the, t- the, the term, I accepted him as my personal Savior. I didn't know what that meant. I just meant I wanted him in my life, in control of my life. And years later, <clears throat> I came across <clears throat> a professor who said, you know, why don't you write that into a poem? So I did. Rattle, 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 the chains do go. Rattles of life's miseries, pains, and sorrow. That's where the chains were. They were hanging on me everywhere. I just... I was afraid of things. I didn't have peace. How can I be free? To whom can I trust? As the chains continue rattling and the lock begins to rust. The lock will soon be sealed. Forever it will close. I truly believe that at a certain point, that was it for me. I didn't know when that would come, but I I, I had this belief in my mind that at some point I will cross over and I will never have any more hope for my life. That's what I believed when I was 17. And I'll be lost without hope. No one to interpose. No one to intercede there. No one to come on in and to, to make it right again. Then appeared a man whom I had seen before. I used to ignore him. I thought he was a bore. Who goes to church anyway, you know? He said, my name is Jesus. Do you want the chains to go away? That's what I felt like that little book was doing to me. It was telling me, you could have freedom, right? If you want to be free, there's only one way. Open your heart to me today. I will come in. There I will stay. I could always push him out, but there he was appealing to me. Let me come in. Rattling, 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 chains no more since I gave my heart to him. I feel his love galore. Rattling, rattling, heart of mine that has been touched by love divine. How about you and me? We locked our hearts to the Lord. If so, it's pretty simple. Open it, all of you, with one accord. And then you can say, rattling, 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 chains no more since I gave my heart to him. I feel his love galore. Not only that, I believe his love galore, even when I don't feel it. And so I think my chains are gone regarding that. Yeah, there's still struggles. You still have struggles too, if you're really honest with yourself. But it's a whole lot lighter load, isn't it? And I came to the conclusion that my life has been a whole lot better since being a Christian than any other time put together before it. And so here this morning, we are talking about a promised restorer. I don't know what your past has been, everybody here. I haven't visited you all in your homes yet. But there's some restoring to do in each one of our lives, isn't there? And if he's done some restoring, there's some praising to do for what he's done in our lives, isn't there? And so I'm going to play a song in a few moments here. And this song simply takes us through amazing grace, and it says our chains are gone. But you know what? There's probably four groups of us here, at least. There's some of us who say, you, I feel his love galore. I've accepted that. I'm thankful for that. The, the stories you've shared are like, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and I want to say thank you, Jesus. All right, then I'm just going to ask you to stand. When the song plays, when you feel impressed to stand, then you stand. Then there's some of you who have come to church, maybe year after year, I don't know. Maybe like Mike, who, who felt like there was a list there, and, and to, to somehow be right with God and to start over, he had to make the list. And God's going to tell you to put aside the list and just accept the new beginning, and then you can take care of everything else. And so if you don't have that assurance and you've been coming to church, God would say to you, why don't you stand and just say, you know what, make a new start in me today. And then there's a third person that could potentially be here this morning. Maybe you've never even heard this before, and you're thinking, whoa, God giving me life in exchange for the mess I have, or maybe forgiving my past, or have given me a new start. I want eternal life, and I've never asked for it then why don't you just stand during the song whenever you feel impressed and say, God, give me eternal life. I've never asked for it. And then there are some people who are here studying 
learning. Maybe this is too good to be true. You need more time to study it out. But you're going to say to God, I'm going to stand and say, God, help me know more so I can take and accept that. Wherever you're at, I'm going to invite you to stand for whatever decision you make, whether you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for the gift, or you're saying, Lord, I want the gift. Even though I've been coming to church, I want that. Or you've never even known about Jesus that much, and you're accepting it for the first time. Or you're searching and wondering where to begin. Wherever you are, I'm going to invite you to stand as God impresses you during this song playing. Turn it up a little bit. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now.
Father in heaven, we're thankful for Jesus. Long before his name was called that, he was the Lord who made us, the Lord who promised to us that he would come, be bruised, and yet free us from bondage. Lord, we've all made mistakes, we've all sinned knowingly, and we trust that Jesus' provision is what's needed for us. Lord, I ask you, Jesus, once again, take control of my life. You know, Lord, without you it's a mess. Lead and guide until that day when I see you face to face. You are my promised restorer, and I'm thankful for you. Amen.